We're at Masechet Pesachim, uh, page 65 on the bottom, and then 66. And we are beginning the sixth pedic, uh, which is going to start off with uh, the rules and regulations of preparing Korban Pesach when before, it falls out, when the 14th falls out on Shabbat. Uh, and this is going to actually be a foundational story we have about Hillel coming from Babel and the, really the introduction of Hillel and uh, that he teaches Bnei Betera, the Kavachomed in Gezra Shabbat. So uh, we, uh, uh, it's a really fantastic and important story. Um, as, oh, as well, some other Musad and a few other halachot. So we start with the Mishnah. Elu devarim ba-Pesach tochin et ha-Shabbat. The following, uh, the following act, uh, activities to prepare the Koblan Pesach uh, override even Shabbat. Shechitato, you have to do Shechitah of the Pesach. Uzrikatamo, and you have to sprinkle uh, the blood. Umichui kedabav, and also the cleaning of the intestines. And the burning of that pot on top of the altar. Uh, you have to clean out the intestines because it's not respectful to offer. This is the part that is offered up, and you're going to offer it up with, uh, in all, to such a dirty fashion. Um, so, all these things are necessary for the Qurban, and this Qurban has to be done on the 14th in the afternoon. And if that's Shabbat, then so be it. We're going to violate Shabbat even for these things. Truth is that Haktarat Chalabav. Technically, you could kind of do at night, but it's uh, preferable to do during the day. So that also one can do on Shabbat. Uh, we're going to see in the Gemara that um, this is the, the majority rabbinic view, that, but Bnei Betera, who were in charge of the, in the, Bet, in the Bet HaMikdash, did not know this or did not agree to this. So we'll see more. However, roasting it, which means that you're roasting it for your own, uh, for eating it yourself, that you can do after nightfall, after Shabbat is over. So you may as well wait and don't violate Shabbat for that. And also the washing of the, of the inner parts, um, uh, that also you can, can wait till after. Not just the cleaning it, but just you know the, the thorough washing. It's not going to get, it's not going to putrefy if it's a little dirty uh, till, till nighttime. So those you have to wait till after Shabbat. And now going back, the, pre, the preparation beforehand, carrying the, the, the lamb, if it can't walk by itself, and you're going you're to have to carry it through a public domain, or if you're going to bring it through Tehum Shabbat, uh, more than 2,000 amot out of the city, or if it has a wart that's a blemish, and so the, the certain types of warts, you're allowed to cut off of the animal and thereby make it a, an, an unblemished animal. And, and so only only with that can it be would it be worthy of sacrificing. And even though these are things that you need to do in order to prepare the, to, to have the sacrifice, because if it's outside the city, you're not going to be able to bring it as a korban. But these do not override Shabbat because these are all things you could have done before. You should have thought about that before Shabbat Friday. Go and carry it, bring it out, uh, look, check for the warts, uh, take them off. And so if you could have done it before, then you're not allowed to do it on Shabbat. You're going to have to find something else. Uh, but the Eliezer, regarding the last uh, group, says it's fine. Even these things override. This is the famous uh, opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, uh, where he says regarding also Berit Milah. Uh, everyone agrees you could do Berit Milah on Shabbat. But Rabbi Eliezer goes further and says you can even carry the knife in the Shut Rabim. You can even go and make a fire to prepare the knife. He says that even things that you need to prepare for the for the mitzvah, since you're allowed to do Korban Pesach, anything that you have to do beforehand, even if you could have done it before Shabbat, still is uh, override Shabbat. So the Be'aliyaz is the most lenient opinion here. Okay, this Mishnah is really fantastic because it includes now a whole dialogue between the Be'aliyaz and the Be'akiba on one side, sorry, the Be'aliyaz on one side, and... Um, and uh, Rabbi Akiba on the other side, and, and the other sages on the, on the other side. Um, it's usually the says like a Gemara with this back and forth, sorry, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yoshua and, and Rabbi Akiba on the other side. Um, so, but this is a Mishnah that includes this very interesting dialogue in which they each bring their proofs. I'm gonna, he's gonna bring a Kalba Chomer that you can even uh, do the prepara preparation, uh, like carrying the animal, uh, even on, uh, uh, or, or bring it from outside the Tchum, even on Shabbat. If I'm allowed to violate 
a one of the 39 melachot, like Shechaita, and uh, slaughter the Korban Pesach on Shabbat, then these other activities, which are, which are only Shavuot. So that means that they must be carrying and not in the public domain, uh, or um, bringing outside the Tehum, according to those who say it's not, well, Tehum, carrying outside the Tehum is not one of the 39 melachot. So these are a lesser category. The Bible is going to call them Dirabanan. And the Mishnah looks like they might even might be Doraita, but they're not part of the 39 Malachot. So if uh, if I can violate one of the actual 39 to prepare Korban Pesach on Shabbat, then surely these, which are Shavut and are less um, less stringent, certainly I could I should also be able to do them on Shabbat. Okay, that sounds like a good Kavachomer. Yom Tov he rejects this Kavachomer because on Yom Tov, a regular Yom Tov, I'm allowed to go and slaughter an animal and cook it, anything that I need to prepare a meal, I'm allowed to do on Yom Tov. And yet the rabbis do not permit me to go and bring an animal from outside the Tehum, out in the, out in the, in the yard, um, far away. I can't, I can't bring it in because I could have done that before. So just like on Yom Tov, anything that I could have done before, even though it's a lower level Shavuot, I can't do, I'm not allowed to do on Yom Tov. So too, this would be true on Shabbat. And therefore, he's, according to Rabbi Eliezer, the critical thing is how, how uh, stringent it is. And the Shechita is more stringent, that's permitted. So less stringent is also okay. According to Rabbi Yeshua, the critical question is, if you could have done it before, even if it's of a lower stringency, then you cannot violate Shabbat or Yom Tov for it. What kind of comparison is that? How can you compare something that's optional to something that's a mitzvah? Regarding eating on Yom Tov, cooking on Yom Tov, that's optional. You feel like having a steak on Yom Tov. Okay, so then you're allowed to do shechita. You can't go and, uh, and bring the animal from outside the, the techum. But that's all the shoot. But here, we're talking about a mitzvah, right? To do korban Pesach. And so therefore, it's not comparable. I could agree with you that on Yom Tov, you're not allowed to bring the animal from outside or from Pesach. You should be allowed to. Uh, so he, uh, he goes back and, and relies on his Kavach Akiva. Okay, so that was all to be Yoshua. And now to be Akiva comes and helps, his, helps out his colleague. And his Be'amad, Haza'at Tochiyach, Shehi Mishum Mitzvah, Shehi Mishum Shavut, Ve'ena Docha Et HaShabbat. If someone is Tamer Lamet, and uh, they're said they have to get sprinkled with paraduma um, on the third and seventh day. Let's say the seventh day is the fourteenth of Nisan, um, and and it's Shabbat. We don't do hazaah. We don't purify that person, even though they won't be able to bring the korban pesach because they're tameh. We don't violate. It's a shivut, right? It's not you're not doing a melacha, but it's not a restful thing to do. And so look at that, right? So here's a here's a perfect example that is a mitzvah. And there's a Shavuot, and you need it in order to eat Korban Pesach, and yet everyone agrees that we do not do Hazaah. So too, we would not do any preparation, even for a mitzvah, and not bring the animal from outside the Tukhum for Korban Pesach. So regarding all the other things in the Mishnah, they are also, uh, we need them for mitzvah, and they are assume Mishum Shavuot, so they would not violate Shabbat. Okay, Rabbi Eliezer has a counter. You bring a proof from Hazaa. I would argue the opposite, that therefore Hazaa is permitted. If Shechita, which is one of the 39 Melachot, and I can override Shabbat to do Shechita of, uh, of uh, the Korban Pesach, then sprinkling the Parah Duman, someone who's Tameh, which is only a Shavut, and they need it in order to be tahor, to bring Korban Pesach, for sure it would override. So you see, they're going you know, deeper and deeper down to the essence of their machloket. Wait a second, you brought the Kaaba Chomer one way, I'll bring the Kaaba Chomer the other way to make them all stringent. I think that sprinkling the Paraduma does not override. So therefore, Shechita Shehi Mishum Melacha and so I would prove based on that that you're not allowed to do shechita um, even on Shabbat uh, that's, uh, that, that is the 14th. 
okay, now Rabbi Akiva doesn't actually think this because the Mishnah already said that everyone agrees you can do Shechita. Rabbi Akiva is simply pointing out that according to your logic that you want to tie this to Hazaah, then you, you could equally uh, come, with, come up with the opposite conclusion, not that all these things are permitted, but all these things are prohibited. He would rather say that the difference is between something you could have done before and something that you could not have done before. And then it would be Akiva can actually make sense of all the cases. Um, says, I wouldn't follow your logic, the logic that you proposed to me, and use the Kaaba Chomid for stringency, because that kind of Kaaba Chomid would uproot uh, a fundamental law of the Torah. The law says that you have to bring the Pesach at its appointed time. That means no matter when it is, whether it's Chol or Shabbat, we have a similar uh, ruling regarding Brit Milas. It has to be on eighth day, even if it's on Shabbat. So too, says that you bring Koran Pesach, even if the 14th is Shabbat. And since that's permitted, Eliezer uses his Kabachomer to say, well then, which is lesser, only a Shavuot should also be permitted, and also bringing something from outside the home should also be permitted. So, so uh, Rabbi Eliezer says, I'm consistent because I could not do it uh, all for stringency because that would go against this fundamental of the Torah, which you all agree with. This Bimada is going to come up again in the story we're about to read. So Rabbi Akiva says, I agree with your Moed that you can do Shechita. And if you would bring me a similar word like yours to prove the other, all the other activities, like bringing from outside to Tuchum, then I would agree with you. Because the word Moed tells me that I need to slaughter the Korban Pesach on the 14th and no other day. But there's no equivalent learning, no equivalent Pasuk that says I have to, uh, I have to also bring it on, uh, from outside the Tuchum on the 14th. So yeah, what you learned explicitly, I would agree with, but otherwise not. So to conclude, Akiva's general rule and Rabbi Yoshua's also is any uh, any activity that you could have done from before Shabbat you cannot does not override Shabbat. However, Shechita you cannot do before because the Torah says you have to do it in the afternoon of the fourteenth. And so that does override Shabbat. And so to anything else, I, obviously, if you have to do the, the slaughtering the, um, on Shabbat, then the sprinkling also, anything that comes after. But anything before um, does not override. The Beliezer disagrees with, with, with this entirely and says, um, no, a Kabachome, this is stringent. Shechita not permitted. And any Shavuot, even if you could have done it before, is permitted. All right, that is the, the Mishnah. And now we have the Gemara, which brings uh, an even older uh, fundamental controversy um, about even the law of slaughtering it on Shabbat itself. Okay, Tenora Banan. Zonit Alema mi it was one of the families we mentioned a couple of chapters ago that were in charge in the Beit Hamikdash. They were like the ritual committee. They knew all the, all the, you know, these are the, the old guys in in, uh, in shul that they know, you know, what happens when. Uh, uh, do you say shira shirim on this Shabbat when it falls on Chanukah? Right? They know they knew all the all the rules and regulations. However, one time it happened that the 14th of Nisan fell out on Shabbat and they forgot, they did not know the halakha. Do we slaughter the Korban Pesach on the 14th or not? I mean, in general, uh, Korban Tamid and Musaf. In general, those are the only two things that can override Shabbat. And you always have uh, Rosh Chodesh also. Um, and, uh, but the question is Pesach? You're not even eating it on that day. So can you violate Shabbat for a uh, korban that you're not actually going to be eating on that day? So, so they didn't know the answer. One time it happens and they didn't know. Uh, general question is, how could they not know? Wouldn't it happen about once every seven years if they relied on witnesses uh, to, to come and say when Rosh Chodesh is? Um, the possible answer is that it might change the system of the calendar. Could be that in earlier times, actually did have a fixed calendar uh, in which they made sure that Pesach would never fall out on Shabbat. Um, for the sectarians, in fact, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
they had a calendar in which Pesach would never, the 14th rather, would never fall out on Shabbat. So the Dead Sea sect would say, no, you're not allowed to, vi to violate Shabbat for Korban Pesach. And so they would make a calendar specifically in that way. And there were times, period, time, period, time periods when the Beit HaMikdash was uh, run by Sadducees. So it could be that there was a long span of decades in which this actually did not occur. And maybe that explains why they didn't know what, what to do. So they said, how are we going to find an answer? Does anybody here know the law if we can prepare Quran Pesach on Shabbat? Yes, there's a person here who just made Aliyah from Babel. His name is Hillel, the Babylonian. And he studied with the great uh, sages of the generation, Shemayan, Abtayon, they were the last of the heirs of the Zugot. And he knows the answer to this. Okay, good. They brought him and they said, We heard you might have uh, you might have an answer to our question. He said, He answers in a in a wry way. He says, What is there only one Pesach that that uh, that overrides Shabbat? Uh, during the year, we have more than 200 uh, Korban Pesach during the year that override Shabbat. They must be scratching their heads like, what is he talking about? We only bring one Pesach a year. What's 200? He seems to, he seems to be alluding to the fact that we bring many Korbanot that are like Korban Pesach. It's like Korban Pesach is a communal sacrifice. So also Ola and Musaf, and, uh, Korban Tamid. Rather, Korban Tamid is two a day, and Musaf is Shekivasim, that's also two animals. That's four animals that you bring every Shabbat, no matter what, times 52 weeks. That's more than 400, uh, 200 uh, animals that you would bring. So he's like, what's the difference? You violate, right? We, we override Shabbat with these communal sacrifices all the time. So Korban Pesach is just another one of them. Okay, uh, obviously they needed a little bit more than that. What's your source? How do you know that this specifically Korban Pesach also violated? Because those are really not comparable because those, those uh, Korbanot are done on Shabbat for Shabbat. But the Korban Pesach is done on Shabbat for the next day, for the next night. So he brings a Gezerah Shabbat. The word Mo'ado, you have to bring to Korban Pesach at its time. It's said regarding Pesach in Numbers 19, and it also says Be Mo'ado regarding Korban Tamid. So he's actually backing up his 200 number, right? And says the, 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 the Torah, since he uses the same word in both, is saying, treat the Pesach like the Korban Tamid, just like Korban Tamid of right Shabbat, so too Pesach. Um, okay, this is very important regarding the origin of Gezerah Shavah. A lot of times we see a Gezerah Shavah, you pick one word here, the, and this is the word the there, and it looks kind of arbitrary. But this is one of the earliest Gezerah Shavah, and if you do a search for the word Bemo'adon, all of the Torah, what you'll find is it appears only in two contexts, in Bemidbar Tet, regarding Korban Pesach, and in 28, regarding Korban Tamid. That's it. So it's a unique phrase. And in fact, a lot of the early ones in the school, in all the Midrashim of Rabbi Akiba are phrases that occur only two times throughout the Torah. And so you see that these are really strong and it's not just an arbitrary word. It's the word that says you have to bring it on at this time. So it's actually a perfectly, uh, uh, a perfectly logical and, and reasonable uh, uh, source um, that really anyone you know that does concordance work or you want to know what this word means and you see only one other occurrence, it's actually a very strong proof. And the early Gezerot Shavuot are, are also contextually very strong. Um, but this is the burial place of uh, Hillel, according to tradition. I don't know if he's actually there or not. Okay. Ve'od kal v'chomer. Who? And he says, besides, not only a Gezerah Shavah, also, um, Hillel says, I can prove it from a Kavachomer. If you don't bring a Korban Tamid, you don't get Karet. And yet it overrides Shabbat. 
Pesach, which is even more stringent in that it, you get a karet violate, a punishment of karet if you if you uh, fail to bring the korban Pesach. So all the more so, Pesach is more stringent than the korban tamid. Okay, so he brought these really three proofs. One is that kind of general analogy: they do korban tamid all the time. Then it, then it gets a rashava, and then a kavachomer. Immediately, they appointed him to be the head, to be the nasi at the head of the community. And he taught them the whole day, uh, all about Pesach. So this is really the story of the rise of Hillel to greatness. Um, okay. Uh, in the, this is the, the Bavli version. This story also appears in the Tosefta and the Yerushalmi version. I wrote something about this that I, um, I'm happy to send you. And uh, in the other, in the Yerushalmi version, he brings proofs all day long, another proof, another proof, and they rejected all the proofs until at the end of the day, he says, I have a tradition in the name of Shemayar and Anachayon that you're allowed to uh, bring Korban Pesach on Shabbat. And then they accepted it. You see in the Bavli, he doesn't say it's a tradition. He just says he brings the he brings the proofs. This is actually very important. It shows that in the Talmud Yudushami, the highest value is a tradition, something that you learn from a master. Whereas in the Bavli, the highest value is someone who can reason uh, and uh, show through Kabachomed Gezerah Shava what uh, you know how to how to achieve the uh, the the right halacha. Um, in fact, but uh, the well, well, I'll tell you more about that in a second because the Bavli is going to bring another section. That's more similar to the Yushami. Okay, so now they make him the head and he's teaching all day. While he's teaching, and he started giving them some rebuke. Look, look what caused that. I had to come all the way from Babel. You didn't have anybody in, in Israel that knew the answer until you relied on me to come to Babel and to make you a head over, uh, uh, the head over you. Because you were all lazy. You didn't go and study from the great masters of the generation. And so, you know, in your, in your laziness, that's why you didn't know the answer. So, you know, don't, don't do that. Go and study from the best. Then they're discussing more halachot. They ask him another thing. Hillel, if someone forgot to bring the knife to do shechita, uh, so then what's the law? He has the animal, right? Can, the animal can walk. But what about the bringing the knife? We just saw that in the Mishnah, right? Rabbi Eliezer would say, fine. But the rabbis say, say no, what do you do? Hillel says, oh, I heard this tradition from my from Shemayah Abtalion, but I forgot what they said. But Israel, even if they're not prophets, their sons are prophets. In other words, they know the right thing to do. You want to see what the right thing to do? Go see what people do. This amazing thing. Now Hillel himself forgot ahlacha. So they went to see, well, what are people going to do? They, uh, you know, they're God-fearing people. How are they going to figure out a solution? So if someone had a lamb, they took the knife and they stuck it into the wool. So the lamb carried its own knife. If it was a goat, then they put it between its horns and that way they didn't have to carry it themselves. The animal will just carry it on its own, and when they get to Bebetash, they could take out the knife. When he saw that, Hillel said, oh yeah, that's the halacha. Right, now they reminded me that that is in fact what the halacha is. Okay, that's the end of the of the Baraita, uh, the, the story about Hillel. Okay, now the Gemara is going to go and analyze each uh, section of that story. It says, Amar Mor, we just mentioned part of that story in according to Gezer Shava, the word occurs here and there, only in those two contexts. And so therefore, just like Korban Tamid is done even on Shabbat, so to Korban Pesach has to be prepared even on Shabbat. However, question is, how about Korban Tamid? How do you know that that itself is done even on Shabbat? If you're saying from the word it has to be on that time, but Pesach also says it. So, but we just said we're learning Pesach from Korban Tamid. Korban Tamid, if you learn it from the word then that, then I don't need the Gezer Shabbat. So obviously, the word is not sufficient. Actually, in the Mishnah, if you remember, they, um, they did quote to mean at, that this is the day. 
Um, okay, but this is a, a different derivation. So you see that obviously the word does not, we do not, according to Hillel, does not mean that even on Shabbat, just that word by itself, that word can only be used as an analogy word. Rather, it's actually an explicit pasuk. I mean, really, nobody can argue with this. Um, when it talks about, we're going to read this, we read this every Rosh Chodesh, right? Olat Shabbat b'Shabbato, that's the Koban Musaf, in addition to Olat HaTamid. So there's the paragraph talking about Shabbat, and it says you bring the Olat HaTamid. So it's actually quite explicit. But since we absolutely know that uh, on the Korban Tamid you bring on Shabbat, then now B'Mo'ado B'Mo'ado can tell you even on Pesach. So this is acceptable. We accept the Gezerah Shabbat. Okay, now in the next part, part of analysis, uh, stands in some tension to the, the previous uh, analysis, but okay. Said that korban tamid, which is less uh, less stringent, because you don't get karet if you don't do it, and that violates that that overrides Shabbat. Pesach, which does get karet uh, if you don't do it, then all the more so. But we can reject this kavachomer. By every kavachomer, you can always find something that this is more weighty than that, and that's more weighty than this. Korban tamid, you bring every single day. And it also is an olah, it's all totally, it's Kodesh Kadashim. So in that way, it's more stringent than Korban Pesach, which does not have those uh, those uh, those uh, aspects. So therefore, weirdly, we can reject the death of Okay, truth is, Oh, so it must be that actually first, he told them the Kavach they rejected it, and he says, okay, Here's a kalvach, here's a here's a gezerah shavah. Wait, does that really work? The chima had to give that a gamar gezerah shavah kavachomer l'mali. If he had a gezerah shavah, then why did he bother telling them the kavachomer? See, the gezerah shavah is a solid proof, isn't it? Ela leditu kamar lehu bishlama gezerah shavah la gamritu then adam dan gezerah shavah me'atzmo ela kavachomer adam dan me'atzmo ibae lehu lemedan. Uh, rather, what Hillel was saying that to them is, according to you, because you have a rule that you don't can't make a gezerah shavah on your own, only a gezerah that you re- received from from tradition. So maybe you'll reject my gezerah shavah. Oh, but I have a kavachomer that uh, for it. But they rejected the kavachomer, so he had to go back and rely on the on the gezerah shavah. Okay, this part, this section does have a parallel in the Yudushalmi, and this is part of in the Yudushalmi when they he presents Hillel presents all the reasons they reject each one according to this. However, this rule that you can only make a gezerah shavah from tradition and not on your own is not found in early sources. It's not found in Tanaitic sources. So you see that in the original story, right? They, they he presented this, and uh, and uh, this would have been a good. Uh, this would have been fine later on. And Gezerah becomes, becomes uh, applied much more loosely, and even a word that doesn't appear only twice, even words that are not extra, but then uh, rabbis had to make a cap on them and say you cannot derive them uh, anymore. And so you see that this Gemara is bringing that, that Amoraic rule and applying it to the Tanaitic uh, story. But in any case, there are in fact two versions of the story, but in either one, you see that uh, Bnei Betara um, didn't know this halacha, and in the Yerushalmi version, version, Hillel knew the tradition all along, but waited till the end of the day to teach it to them. Why? It seems that he actually wanted to show them that the that you can derive the same halacha from tradition as you can from reason. That's actually kind of introducing the laws of reason of Gezerah, Shavah, Kavachomer, and says, you know, there's going to be new cases that come up, and you're going to need to find a way to find uh, explanations for them. Uh, through these these methods of interpretive de- derivation. Um, and then by the time it gets to Bavli, they actually are accepted in the original story, but then later on, it brings some questions about them. Okay, a lot more to say about that story, but you see that's really foundational, um, especially for Hillel's rise to become the Nasi. All right, and so now we're going to get to some Musad. Amar mo'ad kedanav. Uh, so the next day they saw that people brought the knives with the animal itself. Hold on, how can you take the knife and put it in the horns or in the in, in the um, uh, in the in the wool? 
And aren't you actually using Kodashim? You designated this animal already to be a sacrifice, to be Koran Pesach. And now you're putting a burden on it. You're making it work. You're not allowed to make an animal that's Kodesh work. The answer is Kihilel. Hillel had a system by which he made sure that no one would ever misuse his burnt offerings. How did he do that? What he would do, he, was not, he would not designate the Pesach while he was at home. He would bring it as a regular animal, and once he got to the Bet HaMikdash, then he would say, this will be my, my Pesach, and he would do semicha, doesn't mean he would make it a rabbi, he would put his hands on it and say, this will be my, uh, my, my, my korban. He's kind of putting his weight on it. This is, uh, is represents his own being. And so since he only made it Kodesh, in the Bet HaMikdash, right before he was about to slaughter it, that way there was no possibility that it would be misused, you know, in case someone uh, put something on the animal and carried it for him. So that's how they did it. They, the, the animals carried this, but they weren't Kodesh yet. Okay, but that leads to another problem. Pesach v'Shabbat, are you allowed to actually designate a Kodesh as a sacrifice on Shabbat? The Mishnah says, no, but en makdishin, ve'en ma'adichin, ve'en ma'harimin, ve'en makbihin tirumah u'ma'asrot, kol elu b'yom tova meru, kalvachomer v'Shabbat. You're not allowed to consecrate animals or make a valuation value. Say, I'm going to donate the, the, my, the, my value. Or you make a cherem, right? This, I, I donate this item. Uh, I'm not going to use it. It's now it's Kodesh. And you don't bring tirumah or ma'asir. All those, not only on Yom Tov, all the more so on Shabbat. So you see, this is not going to work. Hillel's system cannot work on Shabbat in which when you're not allowed to make a, an animal uh, consecrated on Shabbat. The answer is now this, this this Mishnah that said you're not allowed to make a Hikdesh on Shabbat, that's all, only talking about something that does not have a set time. If I said I'm going to uh, I, I vow I'm gonna bring us bring a sacrifice, but you know I didn't say when, so I can I can do it another day. So then do it another day. But this one, Kaban Pesach, has to be done that day. And then that and that one, I am allowed to consecrate it even on Shabbat. Similarly, the Koban Chagigat to celebrate the holiday, I can sanctify it on Yom Tov because it has to be done on that day. All right, another problem with this with the system. You're you're uh, you're uh, driving right. You're driving a laden animal. You're you're working the animal, and that's a melacha in and of itself. You're not allowed to work an animal. Um, if you make an animal a, a carrier burden, that's working the animal. The answer is he's doing an unusual way. Usually, an animal carries a burden in a pack, if it's carrying grain or whatever, it doesn't carry knives between its horns. That's, a, that's an unusual way. And therefore, it's more lenient. Okay, fine. Because you did it in an unusual way. Still, it will be a sumidrabanan. Oh, yes, that's precisely the question that Benetra were asking Hillel. They knew all of these uh, details and they were asking him in the, in the case like this. Have something that I'm allowed to do midoraita because I'm not, not carrying in a usual way. But it is an unusual way because I'm doing it so it's still drabanan, still shivut. Can I um, up, uh, uh, uproot it, uh, the, the rabbinic decree, and permit it by doing kilahariyad and uh, it, when it when it's for the sake of a mitzvah? In this case, it's for the sake of mitzvah of being able to do shechita. Can't do shechita on the animal if I don't have a knife. And that was the question. Oh, good question. I, I did learn it, but I forgot what I learned. And that's what he answered and said, um, that let's see what, what people actually do. And that way he remembered the halacha. This is actually extremely important source um, because what you have here is shivut to shivut the makom mitzvah. When you have something that is the Rabbanan to begin with, and you do it kilachariyad, and it's for mitzvah, then in many cases that is permitted. Uh, for example, if someone uh, lives on a high floor, live on the hundredth floor of a building, 
and they're not able to walk up and down and they have to get to Beit Knesset. Are they allowed to ask a goy or to press the elevator by Kila Hariad? I'm not going to give up Sakalacha here, but this would be a source to uh, apply that principle of Shavut Peshut Mukom Mitzvah. And of course, each, each case we have to decide uh, whether, that, whether and how that principle uh, applies, but this is a source for it. Okay. Okay, important, Musar, uh, um, anyone who acts haughtily, if he is a Torah scholar, then his scholarship will leave him. If he's a prophet, his prophecy will leave him. Let's see examples. Where do we know that? Where did we see that Hillel became haughty? Well, he started giving rebuke and making fun of the people. Ah, because you, because you were lazy, because you didn't go and study. That's why you forgot this halacha, you guys. Oh, he was like lording it over them. And what happened? He forgot his own, uh, his, his own learning. Right. So, I mean, Hillel, it's appropriate to give rebuke, but in a, in a humble way. Where do we say a, see a prophet whose prophecy le- left her because she was uh, she was acting in a haughty way? Says there were villagers ceased. They ceased in Israel like there was nobody around, nobody uh, helping out, doing anything until until I came, right? Uh, as a mother in Israel. The word shakamti is actually not first person uh, grammatically, but it's uh, an, an, uh, an ancient form of the second person, like in Arabic, inti. Um, so till you say, till you rose up. Anyway, it's, it's actually being written like as if someone else uh, uh, praising devorah until you came up. But in any case, it does look like a first person. And I think that's how the Gemara is taking it. And so devorah says, nobody was around until I came. Oh, it's not nice to speak about yourself in that way, self-glorifying. So what happened next? Um, right. well, get, get up, Devorah, and say something. In other words, Devorah lost her prophecy, and she had to be uh, encouraged to, uh, to uh, uh, go back into state of prophetic um, uh, insight uh, because she lost it, because she uh, was self-glorifying. Okay, amazing uh, source there, interpretation. While you're on the topic of people who act, who, who great people, even great people who don't uh, who don't act 100% correctly, anyone who gets angry, once that per, uh, uh, person is, uh, gets angry, if he's a wise person, his wisdom will leave him. If he's a prophet, his, his prophecy will leave him. How do we see that? We learn that from Moshe This is a story about the war against Midian when um, the generals come back from the war and said, you know, mission, mission accomplished. We went, we conquered Midian, we, we got all the soldiers. And we captured the woman. Moshe sees that and says, you captured the woman and left them alive? They're the ones that caused the sin in the first place. Go back and kill them. And uh, it, doesn't say, it doesn't say what they did. But the next paragraph says, Elazada Kohen was, was uh, taught them the laws of kashrut, what to do with the pots and pans that they got, how to, uh, how to kosher them. It's unusual. Why is Elazada teaching the halakha and not Moshe? It looks like Moshe got angry at the, at the generals, because he got angry, he lost his wisdom. And uh, that's why he was not, not able to teach that halacha. It doesn't say explicitly here, but in parallels to this, uh, this midrash, it says that Moshe gave the wrong ruling. Not supposed to go and kill the, the, the women and the children um, uh, in, in any war. And because he came to anger, he came to uh, lose his chokhmah, even someone great, as great as Moshe. Where do we see that even a prophet who gets angry will lose his prophecy? From the story regarding Elisha, where it says, um, This is regarding the, the war against Moab, when the king of the north, Yehoram, 
joined together with Yehoshaphat, the king of the of the of Judea of the south. And uh, Yehoshaphat says there is any navi that can that can give us give us some guidance in the war. And they said, yeah, Elisha is here because uh, Ahab had killed killed everybody else. And so so he comes. Elisha comes and says, listen. Uh, 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 the, he says to the king of the north, I'm not coming for you. I, if it was for, uh, I, 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 if it were it not that I have regard for the presence of Yoshafat, the king of Judea, he was a righteous person. I would not even, I would not even look at you, um, uh, the uh, Yehoram. And so uh, you see, he gave, he acts in a, he says in an angry way, acts in an angry way, angry, angry words towards, Yeh towards Yehoram. And what happens next? And now when he wants to go get prophecy, he says, bring me someone who can play an instrument so I can get into the prophetic mode. So where they're understanding it as he lost the prophetic mode because he got angry, and now he has to go back into it. So that's the danger of anger. Okay, very good. Um, and furthermore, before the, about anger, Amar bi mani bar patish. Kol Someone who gets angry, even if he was going to, uh, going, uh, had a portion to, that he would be a great person, uh, that, was, that he was destined to be a great person, he loses it. He's lowered from his greatness because of, the, of his anger. How do we know that? This is the older brother of, uh, Dave, of King David, uh, son of Yishai. This is when they were battling Goliath before David goes and kills him. Uh, David was a kid and he was tending the sheep at home. And then his, uh, his father said, go and take some provisions to the, to the uh, front lines. And when his older brother Eliab sees him, he says, "What are you doing here? Who's who's watching the 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 uh, the, the sheep? Um, I know why you came here. You didn't come to help us out. You why you came because you want to come and see the action." So Eliab spoke in a, a not in a nice way. He spoke in anger. So what happened to him? So later on, when Shemuel came to anoint the next king. He went, he went uh, son by son from the oldest all the way to the youngest. They thought it would be the oldest, right? He said, no, this is, uh, God did not choose this one, God did not choose them. And they got to the youngest. Oh, isn't there another kid here? David, David comes. He says, yeah, that's the one. So regarding all the, all the brothers, it just says, neutrally, God did not choose this one. But do not look at his outward appearance because I have rejected him. It's a much more negative uh, rejection regarding Eliav. Why? Why the specific uh, negative towards him? Because before that, God actually had chosen him, loved him. And uh, he was destined to have a uh, position of greatness. But because he spoke in an angry, not nice way to his younger brother, David, so he lost out on that greatness. On that greatness, God has now rejected him. Okay, uh, that's the wonderful lessons. And now we get back to the halacha. Ashkehan tamid upesach dedachu shabbat dedachu tum'ah minalan. Okay, so we know that korban tamid and korban pesach both override shabbat. We learned that already. But how do we know that they override tum'ah? That if most of the people in the community are, are tameh, lamet, uh, that they, you also can do Korban Pesach, and you can also do, uh, we, we saw that already, but also Korban Tamid, which is an amazing thing, because that means even nowadays, uh, most people, uh, everyone is Tameh Lamet, um, yet that would be not, that should not stop us from doing Korban Tamid. Oh, we have a portal open, right? we have an analogy that we made between Pesach and Korban Tamid. So just like we learned from the uh, Alif Pesach, Mi Tamid, we learned from Tamid that you do it even on Shabbat, and so to Pesach you do it even on Shabbat. So now we could use it for the other way. Just like Korban Pesach, you bring it even though most people when most people are Tameh, so to Korban Tamid, you can bring when most people are Tameh. All right, good. But now we have to go back. How do we know that the Korban Pesach itself 
you bring in when everyone's Tameh. Because the Pasuk says, each and every person, anyone, meaning who is Tameh La Nefesh. La Nefesh sounds like from, from a corpse impurity. Um, so that means Ish Nitche Le Pesach Shani, an individual who is Tameh, or in this case, any Tumah. Uh, uh, someone who's an individual's tameh gets pushed off. He can't do the regular pesach. He does it a month later, pesach sheni. But what if it's everyone? Then, then they don't have to. Does everyone go and do pesach sheni? No, they do pesach rishon betumah. So because the pasuk says ish ish, so therefore pesach sheni only applies to individuals. But a community does not do pesach sheni. They would do pesach rishon instead. That's the Biochanan's derivation. That's not a necessary derivation. You can equally say that a single person gets to do a makeup on Pesach Shani. But if everybody's Tameh, then they get no makeup, they can't do it at all, right? That's the more logical explanation of the Pasuk, right? Not that everyone will do it bitumah on Pesach Rishon. So Reshakish doesn't like that one. Ela Amar Bishimon ben Nakish Mehacha Bishalechu mina machane kol sarua bechosa bechot tame la nafesh. He's going to learn it from this pasuk. That has nothing to do with Pesach, um, uh, but rather it's just talking about the encampment, and you cannot have any people that are tame in the camp. So who do you send out? Anyone who's sarua mesora zav or tame la nefesh. And why do you have to say all three? Yomar tame metim ba'al yomar zabinu mesorain. Let the pasuk just say. And the other ones I can learn from that. If someone's tamemet not be in 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 in, then all the more so zav and mesora. Uh, why why they think zav and mesora is worse? Because zav and mesora the tuma comes from their own body, it's self-produced. That's worse than tamemet, in which case I just touched that body is outside of me. And so since they're worse, really the Pasuk could have just said, Tamehmet goes out. Why does I have to add also Zavin and Metzora go out? I could have learned that come from a Kavachomer. Ela yesh lecha sha'ash Zavin and Metzora'in mishtalechin. Ve'en Tamehmetim mishtalechin. Rather, there must be another occasion, right? not the usual encampment, but some other time when uh, Zavin and Metzora'in are sent out, but Tamehmet are not sent out. When would we accept not the other ones. This must be referring to a time when everyone is Tameh, Lamet, and they have to do Korban Pesach, and those that are Tameh, Met, can stay and do the Korban Pesach, but not those who are Zavin and Mesorain. If you have a little patience for just another couple of minutes, I'd like to finish this argument because there's going back and forth regarding it. According to your logic, then really you don't even need Zav and said Zav and Tamemet. They have to leave the Mahane. And I don't don't say Mesora. I would have known that Mesora. Zav is worse than Zav. Um, so then I would know that Mesora leaves. And I can derive everything. So I'm just using your logic. I could say as follows. There must be some uh, occasion on which Mesora um, is sent out, but not Azav and not Tamemet. So what is that? Uh, it would be Pesach. And that would teach me that if everybody is Azav, they can also do, do uh, Korban Pesach on the regular day. And no, that's impossible because nobody think that, thinks that's, that's, that that's true. I mean, if you'll say, yeah, so let Zavim also come and be included. If, if most people are Tamehmet or Zav, then uh, they can also come and do the regular date of Korban Pesach. Mishnah says that when everybody is Tameh, Met, Tameh Lamet, then those people who are Tameh, 
only Tamer Lamet can do it. But even in that case, um, those who are Zabim, Zavot, Nidot, and uh, people who gave birth recently who are Tameh, they um, cannot join in with the Korban Pesach. So, you know, even when the, we do this collective Tum'ah law, the Zavim are out. So therefore, this, this logic would not be wrong. And Abaya says, I'm rejecting your entire logic, Resh Lakish, because by, this, by your logic, I'm going to get to a false conclusion. Rather, it's going to go back to the Bir Hanan's uh, uh, derivation and with the Ish Ish. Um, and Ish Ish Lanefesh Lamali. Our problem with that one was it says uh, an individual who's Tameh does Pesach Shani. But if everyone is Tameh, it's not really clear. Does that mean everyone does? Pesach Shani, or said, no one does anything at all. There's no makeups at all. So he's going to prove that Rabbi Yochanan is right because it says, Why is it add the word Lanefesh? Maybe you'll think that only someone who's Tameh Met on the 14th of Nisan can do a makeup on Pesach Shani. But someone who was a Zav or Nida on Pesach Rishon, they do not have a makeup, right? I might think that, only Tamei Lanefesh, but that's not a true conclusion. So we see that the halacha is that anyone who's Tamei for any reason on the 14th of Nisan, um, or in a far away, they get to, they, or uh, well, someone who became uh, a Tameh because they were with Anida, all those people are allowed to do a makeup on Pesach Shani. And we learn that from the word Ish Ish, every single person, all types of Tumah. So the word Lanefesh, what is it, what is it coming to, to uh, teach me? Only an individual does a makeup on Pesach Shani, but not a whole community. So when do they do it? They do it on the 14th of Nisan. So if it's only an individual, they have to get pushed off. But the whole community, in fact, does it on the 14th. And that was Rabbi Ochanan's uh, um, uh, derivation. And if, but if that happens, and the whole community is Tamehmet and they do it anywhere on the 14th, nevertheless, only those who are Tamehlamet can bring the Korban. But not someone who's a Zav, a Mitzvah, or Nida, they would still not be able to do it. And those individuals would have to do it um, the next month when they are, in fact, pure. Amen. Question?